Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. Today's guest is Phoebe Lapine. She is a best-selling author and an award-winning food and health writer. She's a gluten-free chef, wellness expert, culinary instructor, and Hashimoto's advocate and speaker. She shares recipes for healthy comfort food and insights about balanced lifestyle choices beyond what's on your plate. Through her own journey with Hashimoto's, she was able to find the middle ground between health and hedonism, which we're going to be talking about um, how she did that later on in the podcast. But she did that by making um, one lifestyle change one month at a time, which I love that approach. She is also the host of the SIBO Made Simple podcast where she equips people with information on how they can overcome her own underlying gut issues. And she just released her second book, SIBO Made Simple. And I have a copy of it. I've been reading it over the last couple of days and it's excellent. And I can't wait to check out some of these recipes. Um, So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you've had quite a health journey. I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yes, absolutely. So ironically, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis when I was 22, around the exact same time I was like leaving my corporate job to pursue a full-time career in food. And it took me a long time for like those two (laughs) storylines to dovetail and for me to start actually using my skills in the kitchen to heal myself. Um, But at the time I was like young and immature and I just... um, Um, kind of pretended the conversation never happened and went on living my life. And in the years since, I kind of wound myself down to some sort of rock bottom. I was losing my hair, had horrible skin. Um, It's like rash perioral dermatitis was something that I was just constantly struggling with. Um, I had to stop exercising because my gut was such a mess. I was getting these horrible cramps every time I tried to run. Um, 
I was, you know, waking up in the middle of the night with like horrible night sweats. And yeah, it was like kind of cold all the time. I was just a mess. And eventually, you know, I kind of got my act together and saw a more holistic doctor and, you know, went on my first elimination diet, kind of discovered that gluten and I don't really get along. And that is true for a lot of Hashimoto's folks. And yeah, then I kind of like was like chapter two, I was just super overwhelmed by kind of the rigidity and perfectionism of the holistic health world and the to-do list just seemed so, so long. And as, you know, still a young 20 something living in an expensive city, you know, trying to like jumpstart a career where, you know, it helped to be an omnivore. It was very, very stressful. And I kind of found myself just like at a crossroads and like, I was just so overwhelmed by everything my doctor was telling me to do. I just had to press the pause button and kind of figure out my own path forward. And that was kind of when the idea for the wellness project came to be, um, which is kind of my version of uh, Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project, kind of taking her formula and applying it to health and kind of, um, you know, a really measured uh, step-by-step one change at a time fashion with really awareness being the number one intention, not necessarily doing it perfectly or having it all be cumulative. And it really helped me kind of tackle every single one of my problem areas. Cause you know, again, the to-do list can be very long sleep, hydration, stress management, exercise, alignment, uh, cleaning up my personal care products, detoxing my liver, balancing my hormones, like feeding my gut, you know, all of those things when you stare at them <laughs> can be really, really hard. So I found that my, my, um, system worked really well and it truly did turn my health upside down. Um, my blood work, my numbers were so much better by the end of it. And then after I ended up writing about it and it became a book and the book came out, I started to notice some mysterious symptoms creeping back into my life. And I, I mean, I had had my fair share of IBS. Most people with an autoimmune disease are not um, unfamiliar with gut troubles, but this was like a little bit different. I was burping all the time during meals. I was just like bloated in a way that never seemed to go away. And it just was getting very uncomfortable. So needless to say, I went back to the doctor. Um, he immediately ordered a SIBO test and, you know, spoiler alert, I was diagnosed with SIBO and I hadn't really come across very much about it in my research. You know, I thought I was basically a gut health expert by the end of my, my book writing process. But, um, this was kind of this like complete other acute issue that turned a lot of what I had learned on its head because I had been trying, you know, during those months of misery to apply all this knowledge to, you know, pop the probiotics and eat the fermented foods and crush the beans and the cauliflower. And I was just making myself more and more miserable. So I kind of became a little bit of a SIBO evangelist, not necessarily like trying to convince everyone that they have SIBO, but for, you know, for those who are kind of dabbling in the wellness world and kind of feel they're doing everything right, but are still, you know, experiencing all these symptoms. Like I've been there and I know that pain. And so I I think it's important to kind of spread the message about this other acute gut health issue um, that has, you know, a very different protocol for feeling better. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. And for, I guess we should back up because SIBO, uh, like you said, it's, it's, I would say sort of underdiagnosed under of kind of like PCOS was uh, several years ago. 
And I think a lot of conventional medicine practitioners aren't really familiar with it. Yeah. Um, so why don't, why don't we back up and tell us if SIBO is an acronym? So uh, what yes. does that mean? And tell us a little bit about it. The, you know, we heard a little bit about your symptoms, but common symptoms, and you had mentioned a test. So how, um, sure. if, yeah, so go ahead. Yeah. So it stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And really it's a, an issue of location, not type. So when people talk about, you know, your quote unquote, good gut bacteria, they're primarily referring to your large intestine. That's kind of where the majority of it lives. It's where it aids in the digestive process, helping to digest fibers that you yourself do not digest. Um, and in the small intestine, that is where you digest your main nutrients. So there's less of a role for bacteria though. There are some, you know, every area of your digestive tract kind of has its own unique ecosystem. Um, but if the numbers kind of, you know, grow too large in the small intestine, you can start to experience really intense symptoms. And that's because, you know, then the bacteria are competing for your food resources. Um, when they eat your food, they release gas and that gas is now much further away from an exit ramp. And so mm -hmm. can either get trapped, um, which kind of looks like really uncomfortable bloating distension, or, you know, can come out the other end, like burping for me. Um, but the symptoms, you know, are kind of overlapping with IBS. And the research now says that over 60% of IBS cases are being caused by SIBO. Um, but the SIBO symptoms, um, because of kind of the damage that's caused by having bacteria in this area, that's not designed for it, um, can span like a whole gambit of things, including a lot of autoimmune spectrum symptoms, especially if leaky gut is an issue, um, which can often happen with the bacteria in that area. They can just damage the intestinal walls so that, you know, your larger particles of food or even the bacteria themselves, once your, your immune system starts to break them into little pieces can and seep out into your bloodstream and kind of cause this systemic inflammation. Um, and then, you know, obviously so much of our mood is dictated by our gut. So anxiety, depression, uh, are big with SIBO also weight loss or weight gain, kind of depending on what types of critters are overgrowing. It can be really different for people. Um, nutrient deficiencies, since again, you know, <laughs> there are other, other mouths at the table. Um, Let's see what else. I mean, again, more autoimmune spectrum symptoms like joint pain, um, food sensitivities as a result of the leaky gut, um, which are kind of like autoimmune sensitivities, not necessarily just like the gas you're experiencing every time you eat. Um, but yeah, I think the, the kind of most common ones are just that really uncomfortable bloating and distension, um, diarrhea, constipation, or a mixture of the two and kind of abdominal cramping, really uncomfortable stuff. Okay. And, and so the other, um, health issue that I think is gaining a lot of, um, traction in terms of awareness is histamine intolerance and, uh, and yeah. histamine intolerance and SIBO sort of tie in together. Maybe you could explain. Yeah. So you know, they're really similar in some ways because histamine is an essential part of our daily functions in the body. It's just a matter of having the right amount in our system at any given time. And so we have these checks and balance systems. We have enzymes, um, that can help to break down histamine. Um, and then, you know, just kind of 
having a gut running on all cylinders will also just naturally help to contain those levels. Um, so with SIBO, the bacteria actually contain their own histamine. And then sometimes the damage as a result of SIBO, um, can prevent you from making that necessary enzyme. So that's made in the villi of the intestines. And then oftentimes as a result of SIBO, you may change your diet to be more low FODMAP or just, you know, more heavy in certain, certain vegetables. And there's just natural histamine that's in a lot of fruits and vegetables and, um, like aged meats, you know, anything that's kind of old or aged or fermented foods, um, which is another reason why fermented foods and SIBO don't always go hand in hand. Um, those tend to contain a lot of histamine. So if you're, you know, adding more histamine to the tank at all times, and you've lost the ability to regulate it, plus you have just a higher level of histamine on hand, thanks to those bacteria, um, that's when histamine intolerance can become an issue. Um, and it is really interesting. It has so much to do with the immune system and, um, and your mast cells and all these other kind of more obscure functions in our body. Um, I mean, I'm personally very grateful for SIBO because it truly like gave me like a master class and on my health. And again, I did tons of research for my last book, but I, these were not things that I learned about. I did not learn about histamine intolerance and a lot of these other things. Mm. So if somebody is really resonating with what you're saying, and I think, you know, I hear from a lot of women with PCOS who have IBS and mm. bloating, um, anxiety, certainly. Yeah. Um, and if doctors are not all that receptive to SIBO or may not know what it is, how would you recommend, um, you know, a woman talking to her doctor about it and what kind of test should she request? Yes. So the test for SIBO is something called a breath test. Um, there are a few different types recently, like since the book came out, there is actually one that will test all three of the potential SIBO gases. It's called TRIO. And um, essentially, it's a three-hour test that you do at home or some people have their patients come into their office to do it. Um, but you drink a sugar solution. Well, first of all, you kind of prep for 24 hours to kind of rid your intestines of any fiber lingering things. So it's not to disrupt it. Um, then the morning of you drink the sugar solution and essentially the only thing that would be eating the sugar solution is bacteria. It's like a manufactured, um, artificial solution. So you breathe into a tube every 15 to 20 minutes. Um, kind of every lab has like different criteria and methodology, and then they measure the amount of gas in each of those tubes as you know, in theory, the sugar is making its way down your intestinal tract. So if there's kind of a jump in those gases too early on before, you know, that solution would have reached the large intestine where you expect to see, you know, a huge jump, because again, that's where all of your bacteria are housed, um, that can indicate SIBO. So is that a, a lab test that can be like patient direct or do you it need depends. to go through a, okay. Yeah. There's some labs, uh, some labs where you can get it directly, but if you want insurance to cover it, you have to get a prescription. Okay. So do you think most gastroenterologists are familiar enough with that? Or uh, I think gastroenterology is tough. Um, they're kind of the most conservative of, um, 
and they're the most conservative in the health fields. Now they're recommending the low FODMAP diet and some things that have, you know, ongoing research for IBS, but, you know, SIBO is still this kind of new diagnostic, mm-hmm. um, criteria. So I tend to find, and from what I've heard from, you know, my followers and readers is that, you know, the GIs are the least likely to recommend okay. this test or know about SIBO, but more like functional medicine, doctors, holistic health practitioners, naturopaths, Natural, yeah. they're the ones to go to. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of what we're finding in terms of helping with PCOS hormone testing, that type of thing. It's same thing. I mean, I, I'm not even being disparaging, like my gastroenterologist, who's like a very (laughs) well-respected guy in New York city. This is before I wrote my book, but he was like, you know more about SIBO than I do. (laughs) Yeah. And that's been my experience too. Um, with, I, I, before we got on the call, I was telling about my son and he has a, a, a gastroenterologist at Mass General, and I asked him about SIBO, and he had no idea what it was. So yeah. it, was, it was really <laughs> um, frustrating. But but now I'll be able to go back and educate him with your with your book. I, I might even yeah. give him a copy. Oh, um, do so. Okay, so you have now you have a diagnosis, and this is where you know, your plan kind of comes into play. Maybe you could just sort of walk us through some of the steps that you took in order to heal yourself. Yeah. Well, I was really lucky, you know, my doctor gave me guidance, but you know, as anyone who's seen a doctor knows, even the best functional medicine doctor, what have you, they're going to give you like a few pages to take home. And then it's really just on you to kind of like put it all into practice and to do some research on kind of what the ancillary things are. And so I, you know, dove really straight down the internet rabbit hole and tried to make sense of kind of all the various approaches. And there are so many, and it really depends on the individual and what your specific situation is. Um, But essentially, you know, most people go through one quote unquote kill phase. So an actual process of eradicating the bacteria from your small intestine. Um, There are conventional antibiotics for this that work really well, um, but they tend to be expensive. There's herbal antimicrobials, which are a little bit more broad spectrum, but, you know, of course, quote unquote, natural and over the counter. Um, And then there's this thing called the elemental diet, which is not really a diet. It's like a medical shake and you could drink it for all of your meals for two weeks. And that is very effective with SIBO, but, you know, fewer people will want to take that on. And then, you know, then there's the whole question of diet, obviously, you know, when you're healing the gut or treating the guts, like what you're eating has tremendous importance. Um, but not everyone will layer that on to the treatment process. Um, I kind of always have to remind people that treatment and healing are two very different things. And oftentimes, you know, that aggressive kill phase will require even more healing on the other end Mm -hmm. of it. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, some people will, and this was a case for me as well, you know, get a negative SIBO test and still be feeling symptomatic. And, you know, sometimes that could be because there's something else going on, but oftentimes I think it's just because you just need a lot of healing off the other end of it. Um, That bacteria did cause a lot of damage. So that's kind of where the diet piece comes into play. I mentioned the low FODMAP diet. That's kind of the most popular recommendation. Um, You're essentially kind of taking away your bacteria's favorite foods, um, which, you know, kind of the, the misconception is that that starves them. It doesn't really, but it can encourage them to kind of 
go to the right place. And more importantly, it can help just curb any remaining symptoms that you have to make you less miserable, um, to help your gut heal since that gas can be really disruptive and harmful just on its own. Um, and then, you know, I always think, especially since leaky gut is a factor for SIBO that removing some of the big allergens as well is important, maybe even more important than the FODMAPs. Um, so, you know, dairy, gluten, soy, corn being some of the biggies. Um, and then really just adding in as much ammunition for healing as possible. Um, unfortunately the low FODMAP diet includes a lot of really healthful vegetables, which can make people, um, kind of fearful of, you know, ordinary healthy foods. Um, so especially in my book and when I was healing, I tried to keep as many vegetables as possible and really add in things like fresh ginger and turmeric and bone broth, um, anything that has a lot of, you know, healing power to it. You know, I think you made a, a really good point in your, your bio about, um, how it's, it's difficult to be on these restrictive diets and that you have kind of a philosophy and approach of um, how to do that without feeling deprived. And I, I know I really want to hear more about that. Um, I talk about how the PCOS Diva lifestyle is really not about diet deprivation and denial. Mm -hmm. You have to shift that mindset. And I'd love to hear how you've done that. Yeah. Well, I think it's really tough for for SIBO people, there's a lot of food fear again, because your symptoms are very much correlated to eating. I mean, it is not in your head, like you are <laughs> symptomatic because you're eating. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean like those symptoms don't necessarily mean whether the SIBO is getting worse or better or whatnot, because diet didn't cause SIBO and it's not going to be diet alone that helps you cure it. Um, it can, you know, of course, make you less miserable, but you should just always remember that, you know, the goal is not perfection on the diet front, um, you know, and the goal in life is not necessarily symptom perfection either. You can live a perfectly wonderful life at like 80% better, um, which is kind of my big learning from the wellness project. So yeah, my philosophy of healthy hedonism, I kind of define as, you know, balancing the things that nourish your body with the things that actually feed your spirit and remembering those things and, you know, leaning into them, I think is so important. And that can be, you know, a French fry, or it can be something like a walk, you know, in the middle of the day, or just spending times with friends. And oftentimes restrictive diets can get in the way of your social life. They can get in the way of your financial wellness. And all of those things are, are not true healing, you know, in the macro sense. I, I think that a lot of, um, women that are on these kind of diets, you know, it, it, it's when you, when you're diagnosed with PCOS and you get all of that information, like you were talking about with your Hashimoto's, you know, the supplements yeah. to take the food to eat, you can become very obsessive. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's even a term, like when it comes to eating, like the, or I think it's called orthorexia yeah. and you just get so obsessed with, you know, what you can eat and what you can't eat. And it becomes really unhealthy. Yeah. How, how do you help your um, clients and readers kind of uh, create a healthy balance? Yeah. I mean, it's so hard. Um, I think, you know, a lot of us have felt so out of control with our health for so long that of course, like, you know, the 
food you're putting in your mouth three times a day is among the things that you can control. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're making yourself better. Um, for the gut healing standpoint, I always remind people that, you know, the ultimate goal, the ultimate rules of good gut health are still to eat as diverse a diet as possible and as many plants on your plate as possible. Mm. Um, and I think the best application of the low FODMAP diet, since it is kind of quantity specific is that it can teach you to do that. Like, because, you know, it's like massive amounts of cauliflower or, or certain medium FODMAP ingredients, um, can make you not feel great, but having little bits of this and that can, and, you know, again, when applied properly, that means that instead of kind of a blue plate special, you maybe have like five different vegetables mixed together, just smaller, you know, quantities of each. Um, so I think, you know, I completely sympathize that it's really hard to get from point A to point B with SIBO because they're opposites. Um, but you just have to like face your fears and work on those food fears um, in order to get there. And just remember that, you know, that diversity is the ultimate goal. And sorry, New York City fire, <laughs> <laughs> fire trucks in the background. Um, but any restrictive diet is pretty much going to stand in opposition to that goal of diversity. Um, and you may require a level of restricted restrictiveness now. Um, and that's okay. But remember that the aspiration is to get back to the diversity. That's the ultimate goal always. Mm, that's a great point. What are the, the real, um, what do I want to say? Like, aspects of your book that I, I enjoyed was your symptom and activity tracker worksheet. <laughs> yes. I, I think that I, I talk about how PCOS is just kind of like a big science experiment mm -hmm. living with a, you know, trying to figure out what works for you, what doesn't work. And I loved your, I loved your tracker sheets. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about what you track during the yeah. Day. So that actually, that tracker sheet is like the 2.0 of one I created off the back of the wellness project for my online course, Four Weeks to Wellness, which is kind of like the lightning fast version of my year of health and how I primarily work with people. And, you know, it's the low tech version. I wish there was an app that perfectly had like all these different um, lifestyle elements in one place. Maybe there is one and, you know, I just need to learn about it. But, you know, for women, especially like seeing where you are in your cycle, coupled with what you're putting on your skin every day, coupled with what you're drinking every day, what you're eating every day, um, when your symptoms occur. I think that's really important for SIBO is like, is it in the morning, the afternoon, the evening? Um, let's see what else exercise, of course, your sleep, um, how well, how well you slept, not just how many hours you're in bed for. Um, and then I think I have some lifestyle things on there too. Like, did you meditate that day? Did you, um, do yoga? Um, some of these things, you know, do actually counteract some of the other, um, imperfections, you know, and it all adds up at the end of the day. So it's important for people to kind of stare at the sheet, pull, pull back and kind of look at that. Well, you have some really beautiful uh, pic food photography. <laughs> I know you, you make healthy food look really delicious and I'm sure it tastes great too. Um, you know, is there any way to heal without getting into the kitchen and cooking real 
food? Uh, I think it's really hard to be honest. I think kind of the, the stealth benefit of some of these restrictive diets, like whole 30 AIP, all these other ones is not like the big things that you're eliminating. It's that you're cooking in the first place because your diet's so restrictive. You can't eat out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, people don't quite realize that that is, really what's moving the needle. Um, I also think that, you know, kind of the big guns, alcohol, caffeine, and sugar, if you start with those, like half of your problems will probably be cleared up. That's what we do in my program. We don't just like launch into an elimination diet. We just do those three week one for some people. It's really tough for others. You know, it's like, Oh, um, but most people like do see extreme improvement. And Mm -hmm. I think that's so important then, you know, you know, it's kind of the concept of my project, not doing too many things all at once, because you won't really be able to tell, um, what's moving the needle. Mm, I think a lot of women with adrenal issues, they, you know, it's so comforting to start your day with coffee and end it with wine. And it is, it's hard, but it's, it's really disruptive to your gut. Totally. And everything, I know (laughs) hormones, (laughs) I know everything. Um, so you've talked a little bit about your, your programs. Um, where can we learn more about your work? Yeah. So I have a lot of free recipes that suit a whole number of diets on, uh, feedmephoebe.com. And then if you want to learn more about the book, that's sibomadesimple.com. And if you want to learn more about the other book and the program, that's at thewellnessproject.com. And you, you have a podcast. Yes. SIBO made simple. The podcast, you can find that on my main site, feed me Phoebe. Well, it's been awesome having you here and you're really, as as I said, before we get on uh, the podcast, you're my first SIBO expert and (laughs) just really happy that you were here and sharing, um, about this important topic. I think a lot of women with PCOS, it may be one of those missing pieces of the puzzle. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.